When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. If you're not a subscriber to the series already, I hope you hit that subscribe button. We put out interviews uh, multiple times every single week, usually three to five interviews every single week. So if you're a music fan or you just like hearing uh, great discussions about music, hit that subscribe button right now at any of your favorite uh, downloading spots, podcasting spots, including iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and YouTube. I'm Kyle Merritt. Today I'm talking with Kate Tempest, the poet, writer, musician, etc., 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 has a brand new album called The Book of Traps and Lessons. We're going to talk about working with Rick Rubin on this and what went in to all of the big themes that make up one of the coolest and I really think most important records of at least this year and, and, and maybe even more than that. There are big themes, including the sociopolitical nature uh, of our lives right now, but also the very small moments. And she weaves these in and out so well. And Kate's going to take us on the journey uh, of what the character experiences from the beginning of the record to who they become towards the end of the record. And we'll also talk about the sound. You know, you can look at this as a spoken word album, but the music that's going on behind it is so infectious. The minimalism, the grooves. As you can tell, I'm a really big fan of this album. And we'll also hear what it was like performing a piece like this at the Glastonbury Festival just this past summer. Talking about the record, The Book of Traps and Lessons, it's Kyle Meredith with Kate Tempest. Hello. Well, let me give you the compliments. This this album, this uh, The Book of Traps and Lessons, has it sort of blew me away and shook up my world, and I, uh, I can't stop thinking about it. So the highest compliments well, there. Well, thank you for being open to it and for listening. Yeah, it's such an interesting project. You know, there's a few points we could start on here. I, I, I thought, you know, one of the easiest ones, as the story goes, you teamed with Rick Rubin for this. You know, he, he kind of sought you out after, after seeing you on a program. He's known for having a very hands-off approach. What was your studio relationship like? Yeah, he's pretty hands-off. 
absolutely. But uh, I suppose his role is is more a role of guidance than the role of producer that I'm used to. You know, I work really closely with Dan Carey, my producer, who produced my first two records. And that relationship is so much more involved. You know, we're we're writing together and we're we're talking about every single decision about which snare goes where and everything like that. But with Rick, it was it was much more that we would create music, we'd create demos, and then he would come in for an hour and he'd listen to what we'd made, and then he'd he'd talk about it with us, and then he'd leave us to keep writing and keep working, and then he'd come back in late in the afternoon or early in the evening and he'd he'd listen again to what we'd made. Sometimes he would come in twice in the day, sometimes just once, depending on what was going on for him and in the rest of the studio. And maybe there's a part of you when you're kind of lost in the creative process and things are feeling challenging that wants more input or needs a bit more attention or something like that but actually what what happens is that you discover that the decisions Rick hopes you'll make are decisions that he can't make for you he just needs to encourage you to go on that journey to make those decisions if it's right for the idea and the amount of faith that he has in in me that's how, the faith that I feel he has is is a faith that encourages me to stick with the challenges and go through it and then when he comes in it's like such it's actually an amazing opportunity to have fresh ears on a demo because by the time you've finished the demo or, or made a bunch of songs you've heard them you know you've so many times you're so you're so exhausted from them because you don't even realize but, but when you've been listening to the same song or the same lyrics for four hours because you've been recording it or writing it or making it you lose perspective so then he would come in as a kind of fresh perspective and he would offer some guidance about how best to you know move forward and hearing a song you're talking about over and over i, I read that when it finally came time to lay this down single takes album in its entirety three times a day three days straight which if that's true uh uh, oh my God! What <laughs> is the emotional expense of something like that? Because this is heavy material. Well, I think that it's the emotional expense is is correct. Like this is high stakes. It should feel that you're really going through something and that you're really getting through something when you're when I am recording, you know, songs like these or an album like this. I feel like it's absolutely right that it takes a lot of focus and energy and determination and clarity to begin and continue for forty five minutes. Because that's how that's how that's how you're expecting your audience to engage with it. So unless you're meeting them there in that same space, then I I think it's harder to ask for their attention unless you're giving the same, you know? And, you know, coming at it from a radio point of view, too, of course, you know, we'll play one song at a time or something like that but it always <laughs> yeah. it, it always feels i feel like i'm like i'm like i'm doing something wrong occasionally i love like you know of course uh we, we played fire smoke and uh i've i've really latched onto holy elixir you know putting it on the air uh but but i can't do that at home obviously you know it's not like a hit and a shuffle like once i've hit play it is it's that commitment is there whether i knew it or not i'm not stopping <laughs> wow <laughs> that's really I'm, I'm glad to hear that's how you're engaging with it but i think it's kind of important to say that even though i hope people will listen to it that way i understand that that isn't the way that people listen to music and it's also exciting for me that somebody may discover a song on the radio if you play you know fire smoke or they may discover a song on a playlist or something and and, and hopefully these pieces work like that you know, I don't know because I think of it as one piece, but hopefully they have their they have their space even when it's just a little few minutes extract, you know. Well, when I listen to it, you know, I think one of the things that I really enjoy hearing is that there's this very big picture thing happening throughout it, but all these small stories in between. 
and and it seems like that might have been important for you uh, to kind of you know when we're talking about the big picture, obviously there's a there's there's environmental catastrophe, there's there's a, the politicalness of everything, but but there seems to be very personal stories happening. Is that the way that you wanted it to come across? Yeah, I mean, I think that the album is hoping to create this um, this kind of sense of the tension between the smallness of a life and the hugeness of the context in which that life exists. And the the album is intentionally trying to create an environment to express how that feels to be a person alive. And, you know, with with the things that a person has to do, like in the album, it's brushing, brushing your teeth or doing your shoelaces up or standing at the station, getting a cup of coffee. But these things are not isolated moments. They, they form part of a, a much bigger framework of cause and effect event time you know so not only is that person at the train station getting that coffee that person is also in the town in the city in the country in the nation in the in the continent you know on the planet and i think that we are all as we move through our lives aware of this stuff and it creates this kind of heavy breathlessness to to our days and i wanted the album yeah i, I wanted that to be happening on the album for sure there are a um a few mentions of of your crumbling country uh, as you put it mm-hmm. i had wondered you know 2016 obviously the the song europe is lost came out and and is this the lost europe uh i feel that's a pretty obvious question but uh is 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 that how you see it too Oh man, it's um it's a very strange time in the UK right now. I mean, it's a strange time everywhere, I suppose. I mean, it yeah, I mean all I can say is that I think that Brexit is a symptom of a of a deeper problem, a deeper sense of rootlessness, exhaustion, fear, you know. And Brexit didn't surprise me, doesn't surprise doesn't surprise me. It's you know, it hasn't even happened yet. It may never happen. Who knows what's going to go on with it. What what bothers me and what hurts is some of the the trend in factionism that's happening, which is yeah, I mean it's it's just it's bizarre, it's bizarre. Nobody really knows what's going on here as well. It's like, but we've just got a new prime minister who's built his. Oh, anyway, I don't want to talk about it. It's, it's just so grim. It's so grim. No, I. But understand. yeah, I mean, it's not. I don't think the album is intentionally dealing with that stuff, but because that stuff is going on, it it does come out. So I think that it's important to say that. When you're writing, you often don't even realize how much you have absorbed about something until you see it come out. And, um, you know, it's like you, you suddenly see you suddenly see how you've been feeling about something because there it is in the song. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I intended to make an album that had something to say about Brexit. I've got nothing to say about it apart from just I don't know what, I don't know what it's all about. It is interesting how the journey plays over the record, too, because... You know, by track four, you know, three-sided coin, there's the line, why not lock yourself in? Or, well, I, I think I'm saying it wrong, but uh, paraphrasing okay. there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, how you like. It's yours now. <laughs> I no, made it. It's now it's yours. Well, I, I think I wrote down the idea, not the actual lyrics, but, the, you know, the idea of just just lock yourself in, you know, and, and, and that's where we are in the early part of it, but, but that does change. I mean, uh, there is a hope in Hold Your Own only a few tracks later, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and I felt to me that was important obviously i'm in the u.s we're dealing with very similar things that you know just just beyond the fine details of what it's called you know the division over here and and to kind of go on that journey through this because by the time you get there that's needed mm-hmm. you know that that bit of advice and the mood sort of changes too musically on on i trap you but it's not um like that's that's sort of a juxtaposition right so, i mean that's it's it goes lighter but not exactly yeah it's like a terrifying kind of 
circus carousel like it's a bizarre it's a, it's a bizarre bit of musicality that we we had a lot of fun experimenting with it just felt right that there was something so sweet being played on the piano while something so sinister is being said you know it's such like it's such a dark lyric really but setting it against that music gives it this this kind of sense of innocence, which I think it needs. Otherwise, it would be difficult to listen to. And I, th- I actually, whenever I perform it live, I've been touring over the summer, and it's actually something I enjoy saying with a smile on my face. I love, I love saying it. Actually, I love standing there and saying, "I trap you," <laughs> like, and I trap you so much. And I see all these couples looking at me and looking at each other and being like, "Oh no!" It's, you know, it's like, but it feels, it feels like. It doesn't feel accusatory. It just feels like an acknowledgement of something that so often happens in relationships. And it's it's kind of tongue-in-cheek when we do it live. But on the record, I suppose, it, it serves a more serious purpose, which is that the speaker of these poems is coming to this realisation about their own behaviour in their own relationships when they've exhibited behaviours which have been damaging, which is what the whole first part of the album is kind of about, this damaging patterns of behaviour that this person is trapped in. And whether that's like violence of the state against an individual or the violence of this person against their partner in terms of uh, you know an obsession rather than a kind of healthy abundant loving relationship they they realize that they've been trapping this other person you know the whole of the first album is dealing with how this person feels they are trapped in their own behaviors and then the whole next part of the album beginning with hold your own is supposed to be the book of lessons that's where this person is trying to actually do something about this realization they've had this awareness they've suddenly got about their own behavior and they're trying to desperately put put this into practice and learn the lessons and change the behaviors does does the character become a better person by the end of it uh well the final song people's faces you know that i think that that's i mean it's just an expression of real tender love for strangers and i think that that's a really positive and beautiful place for this person to find themselves in that's i think that's a real mark of of progress in this person's life to be able to just fully and truly notice other people's experience and love them love strangers i think that's hopefully it's a it's a positive and hopeful note to leave the album on I, I did want to ask about the music. We kind of brushed on it there, too. So much attention is uh, obviously paid to the lyrics for good reason. The music matches all of these sounds so much, whether you know it's, it's talking about the, you know, the juxtaposition of I Trap You or just the amazing grooves that go throughout it. Is there something you all went into saying this record needs to sound like this? No, this was the whole beautiful thing about what the process of making this album is that we had no idea what it was going to sound like or what it was going to be. All that we knew was that Rick had this kind of vision and he wanted to create music out of my poetry, with my poetry, that broke the conventions of hip-hop. Even though it it begins in a hip-hop environment, it breaks all the conventions of hip-hop, that breaks all the conventions of our own creative work, you know, like so, and that's lyrically and musically. So we would generate all these demos and if there was something that Rick was excited by, he would encourage us, Dan Carey and I, Dan Carey who writes the music, he would encourage us to pursue a certain sound or a certain idea. He might say, you know, I like the lyric here, but I don't, you know, I'm, I think we can do something different with the music. And so then we would often come away from meetings like that, scratching our heads, being like, wow, we love this beat. Like, what's he talking about? And because he couldn't say, I want you to break convention, because he didn't know that's what he wanted us to do. He's just looking for... An, a recognition of this idea that he has he's, he's trying to he's trying to just see his vision basically right. so we went 
on this crazy journey with the music where it started off where Rick was like, I don't want any drums. I don't want to make an album with drums. So then me and Dan were like, wow, what do we do? So we, we got the guitar out. We wrote you know, <laughs> wrote these like kind of folk songs. And then we realized that we could have drums. It's just that I had to not lock in with them. I had to go at the pace of the lyric and not lock in with the beat because when I lock in with the beat, the lyric just becomes part of the music and it stops having its own integrity. So that was like a moment of revelation. We were like, wow, we can have beats, like, you know. And then and then it was about what kind of musical landscapes we could produce. And the more abstract, the more... Yeah, the the more sonically abstract, the better, the better, the more Rick was excited by it. So what we've ended up with on the album has been a... It's just been a beautiful process of trial and error. And... Um, the music and the lyrics they've they've had life together from the whole the whole process they've they may have started their lives together like uh, like I trap you those two that lyric and that music that they began their life together they belong together but something like brown eyed man that has that had like four different musical accompaniments before we found that particular one um people's faces that began with dan playing the chords and he just he woke up from a dream with this song in his head these chords in his head and we started to write and the first draft of that song is pretty much 60%, 70% of the song that ended up on the album. And so the relationship between lyric and music, or the whole, it's been, a, it's been an amazing journey and really unlike anything else I've ever attempted to do. And same with Dan. And it's, it's interesting to hear, of course, a lot of these tracks, you know, they bleed straight into the other ones. And, and I thought, well, there's no way she probably wrote this in sequence like that. And, and, and you know, so does... The way did it ever uh, happen where the way one song ended dictated how you wanted to write the next song or something like that? No. So what we what we did is that we ended up with a situation where we had six six songs or five or six songs that Rick said, okay, these are exceptional. These are the songs. This is what the album is going to sound like. This is what's working. And when we had that breakthrough, then we because for the whole time, don't forget, we didn't know what was going on. We it was like at any minute we thought we understood it, and then he'd be like, no, 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 this isn't right. <laughs> so finally, we got to the point where he said, yeah, this, these are the songs. And then we then we took those songs away and we looked at them, and we realised that there was a kind of shape uh, appearing, you know. And lyrically and musically, we started to realise that this was the beginning of an album and and then we began to write the shape of you know we, we began to fill in the detail essentially mm-hmm. so it's like now we know that these songs are going to be the, the bones of this thing now we can start to flesh it out and the idea of themes reoccurring and the music not stopping all the way through and, and linking and references being made to previous musical motifs and also lyrically things being repeated throughout that was definitely something that we began thinking about from that moment we wanted to make it feel coherent because also my previous albums have been narratives they've been like deeply involved narrative pieces of work and rick was just he was like look break your convention you know he's not interested in me saying here is a town here are the people he has a stronger reaction to me saying, I have seen, I have felt. But I needed the songs and the album to still have a feeling of cohesion because I, I believe that an album should feel like, a, you know, one piece of work. I wanted it to feel like that. And, it, and even though there wasn't a story running through it, you know, explicitly at that point, there, a story began to appear out of it. And that's when we wrote Thirsty and we wrote Keep Moving, Don't Move. And it all just, it began to take shape from that moment, really. And it sounds, I mean, it, it sounds... 
perfect. It sounds like everything is exactly where it should be. <laughs> That's the mystery of making an album. Right. Once it's finished, it just sounds like it, it began that way. Yeah. But like, actually, we worked on this for like five years, you know, oh, on and off right. between different projects. So it's, um, you know, some of the demos that we made, it's just, <laughs> just like ridiculous, like bizarre experiments. So, I mean, I'm, I, I agree with you. I feel like right now when I listen to it, it feels finished. And that's because I know as well, like the journey that we've been on to get to the point where we can say, that's the album. Okay, we did it, you know. And then once it's done, you've taken it out on the road. What was Glastonbury like, you know, in, in that kind of setting, you know, for an hour to, to perform something like this? Is it is it different? I mean, like Glastonbury is... Uh, for me, a very special place, and I had an incredible time. I felt, you know, absolutely overwhelmed, but also in control and, and you know, secure and content. Like, the last time I played Glastonbury, I was kind of freaking out, and this time I just felt so close to the music and so close to the lyrics, and I felt so overjoyed to have the opportunity to share with a, with a load of people who are having a you know a very particular kind of weekend, and then you come out into that space with these lyrics, and I think you just have to be completely prepared to be like, okay, so this isn't really party time, and this isn't like the songs that you know and love, and this <laughs> this isn't even like anything impressive in terms of like bass lines or guitar solos or anything like that. What this is going to be is what I do best, and it's like having the courage to go out there with such a stripped down performance. And just, you know, it's just me and Claire Uchima who plays with me. She plays the synths. And it's just us two on stage together. It, it's so stripped down. And in some ways, it's the scariest thing in the world to do that. But I feel like the fact that we took that risk at Glastonbury, I think it really paid off. I felt like the audience were like, oh, wow, OK, this is connecting with a different part of me right now and I think there's space for that at any gathering there's space there's space to go a little deeper definitely that's what music's for you know so I mean also you want to be able to have a good time and party and you know just dance but I think for an hour throughout the whole weekend to just connect with this kind of performance it felt like it went well I felt really happy and overjoyed and lucky and just proud it is great to watch the video of that and just to see as you're saying, in a festival setting and how we think about a festival setting and how people react, but just to see everyone so completely still and staring right at you and, and just taking it all in. Like, it's it's really noticeable, you know, to see something like that. And uh, I'm only envious that I wasn't there. <laughs> Kate, it is such a pleasure uh, to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the Book of Traps and Lessons. Thank you so much for your time, and have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Speak to you later. Bye. Oh, my thanks. Kate Tempest, the uh, new album is called The Book of Traps and Lessons. Hey, before you get out of here, remember, hit that subscribe button uh, so you can keep up with all the interviews that we put out here every single week. Again, uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you get your favorite podcast from. Just grab your, uh, your favorite listening device and type in Kyle Meredith with. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. Uh, leave us a message. Give a hello. Give the, uh, the series uh, a rating. That's always a huge, huge help if you can give the series a rating, uh, a review, or anything like that. And after that, head to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. I play uh, new songs from the day. We do some anniversary celebrations. You'll get music news and, of course, clips from these interviews as well. That's WFPK.org. Consequenceofsound.net has your music and film news. You can also find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith and Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.
Consequence Podcast Network.